0: co-founder of Box Union Studio and Chief Revenue Officer of Tidal Boxing Club. In this episode, we discuss so much of Felicia's personal journey with an early childhood loss with her father that really shaped so much of her drive and passion to her professional path that transitioned from tech to sales and marketing, and finally to entrepreneurship in founding Box Union Studio. And there's a moment where I had to ask Felicia what she's not good at, because as you'll hear, She is a force and she is so driven that it seems like nothing could stop her and this incredible energy to succeed. And what I admire about her, among many things, is her ability to be honest and connect with people. It's this amazing, genuine skill to connect and show people that being vulnerable is not a sign of weakness, but rather a sign of awareness and inner strength to allow for that type of transparency. Felicia continues to inspire me so, so much, and it's her mission of building better boxers, better athletes, but really overall better people. Um, The studios have this incredible partnership that she highlights with foundations, but they highlight and focus on mental health, which is just amazing. And please stick to the end to find out a fun piece of trivia, which I didn't know, but guess where the majority of boxing gloves are manufactured. Please enjoy this conversation with the mighty Felicia Alexander. Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Thank you so much for joining. And a big thank you to Ellen Chen for the introduction. I had the pleasure of interviewing her, gosh, now three years ago at the start of the show, and she was my first Polish interview. And so as we stayed connected and I asked her recently, you know, just some other people that inspire her, she said, oh, my gosh, you need to meet and interview Felicia. She continues to inspire me. And so I use Ellen's acronym of getting better every day, but she largely says you do that for her. So big thank you to Ellen. That gives me
1: goosebumps because she is one of the most amazing people that has come into my life. And I look up to her and have so much admiration for her, what she stands for and everything that she's done and has yet to do.
0: The listeners would have heard the episode overview that includes your amazing journey into co-founding Box Union. And before we get into that, I'd love to rewind your highlight reel all the way back and really share first where you grew up.
1: Yeah, I was born and raised in San Diego. I grew up in a beautiful town called Cardiff-by-the-Sea. My mother was a Professor at San Diego State University. And my father was a dentist, and somehow Cardiff seemed equidistant, though I think my mom definitely drew the short end of the stick. I have two sisters. I'm right smack in the middle. I grew up playing competitive soccer. I was always really into school, loved to learn, was very competitive with myself, put a lot of pressure on myself left san diego for college i ended up going to stanford university i should rewind a little bit and talk about during my junior year of high school my dad died suddenly of a heart attack and that was a very traumatic experience for my mom, my sisters, and myself to feel like the backbone of your family had just been taken from you overnight. So there was a point in time where I wasn't even sure that I wanted to leave home to go to college. I wasn't sure that my mom and my younger sister going that far away from them, how would they be? And had I not gotten into Stanford, I mean, chances are I probably would have stayed a lot closer to home. But once that acceptance came, my mom said, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. doesn't matter how you're going and you're going to have an amazing time. And I'm glad that I got that extra push from her because I did go and I had an amazing
0: time. That's so sweet. It's it's wonderful to hear such familial obligation on both sides where you felt it was appropriate to stay closer to home. For your mom and to be closer to your siblings. And your mom felt it was her duty to push you to attend such an amazing university. I love that. And so you graduated Stanford in the late 90s. And I know many of our listeners are around our age in their kind of 30s and 40s. And many of them are quite younger. And they might not recall or know that during that time, it was the dot-com era. And Nearly everyone I know when we graduated college wanted to join some sexy startup or dot-com, right?
1: I graduated from Stanford in 1997. It was the height of the dot-com boom. Former Stanford students had founded Yahoo!, and everyone was founding a dot-com or going to work for a dot-com. Unlike the majority of the people, I went to work for a very established technology company called Sun Microsystems. So while everyone was at these sexy dot-coms, I was working for this very well-established multinational company that was powering the internet. And it was the most amazing experience and something that my classmates and friends found really funny. I barely could use my Mac in college. I had that desktop that I needed to use to write papers and God forbid anything would go wrong with it. I would have no clue what to do. My roommate was an engineering major And luckily, much more tech savvy than I was. So when I got the job at Sun and we were using Unix workstations, no point and click. You had to learn command lines to actually turn on your computer and get work done. Everyone got quite a laugh. At that. And it was amazing. I finished college two quarters early. So while my friends were living it up the rest of senior year, I went to work and I went to work for an amazing group of mentors, most of whom had gone to Stanford undergrad. They were all 10 to 15 years older than I was. And they really treated me like an equal, but also gave me an opportunity to make mistakes, to learn, to get my hands dirty, and to give me a seat at the table. So I started as a competitive analyst in a group that was trying to disrupt the PC market. They were working on a product called the Java station that for the first time, once it was announced, PC prices went below $1,000. And I got to travel all throughout the US as well as Europe. My colleagues, for the most part, were all married and had young kids. So if somebody needed to go meet with a potential partner and figure out their product requirements to have our PC alternative work in their environment. It was like, why don't we send Felicia on a plane? She's got nothing else to do. And it's true. I didn't have anything else to do. I devoted my entire life to work and working out. And I was so content to see the world. I graduated college early. I always worked during the summer. So I never had that opportunity to go and travel. And this was my way to get to different countries. I think I did almost a million miles in a year and it was fantastic. I followed my two bosses to an internet startup. They were tired of seeing their colleagues make it big with these startups. So they decided it was time to leave and they offered me a a spot to go with them. I had met my husband who was my fiance at the time and I was really tired. I was still traveling a lot and I wanted to spend more time with him and not be gone three weeks of every month. So I went to go work With them at a company that was helping do business to business procurement software. Again, very sexy, and learned a ton, worked in kind of a marketing sales capacity, helping to get their customers engaged and adopting the software.
0: And is this the opportunity where you learned a lot about the bus system?
1: (laughs) Had an experience of working with Laidlaw, which is the largest provider or was at the time of student pupil transportation, learned more about school buses than one could ever imagine. But it was really, really a ton of fun. That company was purchased by Accenture for our debts and liabilities. And I found myself actually out of a job. And that was terrifying because I had been on such a great trajectory at Sun Microsystems. I had been the youngest person like promoted into a variety of different roles. I was so determined after my dad's death to be financially independent, to always be able to take care of myself. And then to be told like, hey, we don't have a job anymore and be given severance. I was like, what am I going to do? And this crazy man who was my boyfriend at the time, and when I say crazy, he anything but crazy. But he was working for a company that was purchased by AOL and they had asked him to move back to New York. He had just moved out to California. And he was like, I'm not going. He's like, what if we just put our stuff in storage, got engaged and went traveling? For a year. And I was like, you don't understand. I don't do things that are spontaneous. (laughs) Like, I've got a plan. I need to do this, this, and this. But ultimately, I said yes. To me, that was the craziest thing that I had ever done. But it was also amazing. And we knew what day we were flying into a country, what day we were flying out of a country. We would book our accommodations the first night in each city. But beyond that, only thing we had to think about was, are we going to go left today? Or are we going to go right today? There was no cell phones with like Wi-Fi Plans. Like we would go to internet cafes to send emails to communicate back home, but it was an unbelievable experience and a great way to really understand. Ellen talks about working with someone is a way to decide if you're like really compatible. I would say traveling with someone is a great
0: way to figure out are we meant to be together? That's so amazing. That trip sounds incredible. Not only to confirm compatibility with your then boyfriend, now husband, but I found the same with girlfriends too, where travel really highlights that. And so I know you are a proud Bruin and got your MBA at UCLA after that trip. And in preparing for this interview, I noticed that you were laser focused on working for Mattel afterwards. Can you share more about that? I
1: had always worked in technology, but I didn't feel like LA had anything exciting to offer. And I made it my mission to go work for Mattel. I was going to do Barbie marketing no matter what. And I would look every day online and see jobs and I would apply to them and nothing, nothing, nothing. And I'm sure the way that the crawlers work on the internet, there was like nothing in my resume that would have made it popped. And I happened to be by my apartment, getting my hair done at this place for the first time. And meanwhile, like I've researched everything about Mattel. And I'm sitting down and I look over and I'm like, oh my gosh, that woman is the president of Barbie at Mattel. And I asked the guy who's doing my hair. I was like, do you happen to know that woman's name? And he confirms like, yeah, that's Adrienne Fontanella. And so I was like, excuse me. I jump out of my chair. She's like got foil in her hair. Like who knows what I look like at this point in time. And I was like, I'm so sorry to interrupt my name is Felicia Alexander. I am such a huge fan of Mattel. I've been doing all of this research I'm dying to work for. And that led me to actually getting an interview. And from there, I got a job working at Mattel doing Barbie marketing, which was awesome because it was very different from working in the technology space. It's unbelievably how like sophisticated and structured consumer packaged goods are. There's a lot more creativity and freedom in high-tech marketing than there is in the CPG space. I learned a lot. I went to business school while I was there and then I got an opportunity to go work at Sony and start this influencer marketing program before social media platforms
0: existed. You had mentioned that Mattel was a company you needed to work at. What was it about Mattel that you fell in love with? Because once you saw the CEO, which is amazing serendipity, but what was it that drew you to Mattel in the first place?
1: I had it in my head that I wasn't done learning. Whereas I knew I wanted to do something entrepreneurial at some point in time. I really felt like being within... So I had been at Sun Microsystems, huge Fortune 500 company. Then I went to this startup and I learned a lot. And I was like, I think there's something to be said for being in a really big company that has infrastructure that has established processes and procedures, and actually that has a lot of hierarchy that I could potentially grow into as well as learn from. So I wanted that environment because I felt like there were just things that I was lacking or things that I could gain. From being in there. And when I looked at companies in LA that were big, successful, established, good brand recognition, like Mattel was at the top of that list. Mind you, like my sister, I was kind of a tomboy growing up. My older sister was much more girly than I was. But I mean, who didn't have or want to have the Barbie dream house? whether it was playing with Barbies sometimes, then chopping the hair off my sister's Barbies when I would get mad at her or the super sweet Hot Wheels racetrack. It was a company that I identified with and that I resonated with and that I was obsessed
0: with becoming a part of. And so how long were you at Mattel before you said you went over to Sony? I was at Mattel for two years. And I was happy there.
1: And I don't think I would have left had it not been for the fact that a friend from high school started working for this group at Sony in New York. She was telling me about her job. I was like, that sounds amazing. She's like, my boss is going to be in LA. You should meet up with her. And it was one of those meetings where you just hit it off with the person and what it is that they're telling you, you can do that you can be a part of, was like so exciting. Whereas within Mattel, my role was very, very microscopic in the scheme of their entire operation. And here I had an opportunity to take some of those skills that I had been learning and developing and cultivating and kind of help grow a company from
0: not much. And so you had mentioned that you've continued your love for fitness throughout all of your corporate endeavors. And so how did Box Union enter the picture? So I should rewind and let you know that that summer after my dad died of a heart attack,
1: I looked in the yellow pages, the internet just really wasn't a thing. And I sought out a boxing gym. I had a lot of pain, I had a lot of sadness, and I think I was also looking for some sort of strength. I remember like going to sleep at night and being really scared to sleep without my dad being in the house to protect us. I found this boxing gym. It was 45 minutes away from where I lived. And I remember the first day going. It was in downtown San Diego. And at that point in time, downtown San Diego hadn't been revitalized the way it is today. And there was people sleeping on the streets. And I was like, oh my God, can I even make it out of my car to put the money in to get into the place safely? And I go up these stairs and open the doors and there's that stench, just like sweat and grossness, but it was so authentic. And it was everything that I could have imagined a boxing gym to be and the owner could not have been any nicer he had been a bronze olympian he worked at the local news station as a cameraman and he had this gym called the San Diego Boxing Academy and he helped me put on wraps and gloves and hitting the bag and getting inside the ring and hitting mitts with him was unbelievably cathartic and it gave me a sense of power that i didn't even know that i had and if i Fast forward to today, I see it in Box Union. I see it at Title Boxing Club. When people come in for the first time and they put gloves on, it's like a switch and this like alter ego emerges and this inner badass appears. And people, even if they're the most zen of yogis, can't argue with the fact that there is something so cathartic. In hitting a heavy
0: bag. <laughs> Seriously, there's nothing better than than getting that out of your system. And so fast forward, you had seven or eight growth years at Sony learning so much, and then you moved over to Demand Media, now Leaf Group. But how did your love of boxing return and the foundation of Box Union? How did that happen? So
1: Todd, my business partner's name is Todd Wadler. He and his wife have been friends of ours for over 14 years. We met when my son and their daughter were babies and they lived around the corner. He had done a lot of banking and transactions with a lot of entrepreneurs, done a lot in the health and wellness space. We were really looking at what were we passionate about? And where did we think there was a business opportunity to grow a market and build a category? And while there were many places that one could box for fitness in LA, they were all variations of the same theme. A lot of them had been started by former fighters. They operated in a similar circuit style format. We were fans of SoulCycle and the experience they created by having great music, low lights, keeping a bunch of individuals united throughout a class by using the rhythm of the music to keep everyone as a pack. And we said, what if we did something like that in boxing? We create a different space. We make it smell really good. We make it look really good. We give everyone their own individual bag. We keep the lights low. And we thought through all of the elements that make boxing a intimidating workout and how we could potentially eliminate those barriers. And Box Union was born from that. We called it Box Union because we were a union of mind, body, music, and boxing, a union of taking a very individual sport and for 45 minutes having people work as one. And to be honest, a lot of what Box Union is today and what it became was Through evolution of being in the business, seeing what was working, what wasn't working, hiring people onto our team who had different experiences and ideas and letting them infuse the programming and the environment with things that they had done well from previous environments. And it just happened. People thought we were absolutely crazy. I got to this point where a lot of people are like, just have a side hustle, keep your job, do this on the side. And I would have loved to have kept an income coming in and doing this on the side. But I'm one of those people who, when I'm in, I'm all in on anything that I'm doing. And I found it way too hard. I would need to be meeting with the contractor or the architect or lighting people during the day. And I couldn't be a good corporate employee and be leaving my Office at all times during the day. So I finally was like, hey, I've got to do this. It's burning a hole inside of me. I can't do both of these things and do them well or feel good about myself while doing them both. So I quit my job at Leaf Group in June of 2016. And then it took us until April of 2017 to actually open up Box Union.
0: And I read in a prior interview you did that there was a flood the day before. The box opened. What was that? Yeah.
1: Well, we wanted to do everything possible to make boxing inviting and accessible to people who would have never put on gloves before in their lives. So one of the things that we did was we invested in these bags that look like a traditional six foot tall heavy bag but instead of being filled with textiles and other raw materials that boxing bags are often filled with, we went with a bag that was filled with water surrounded by three inches of high density foam. And while the bags that we purchased had been for sale from the manufacturer, the manufacturer had never sold them in an environment where they were going to be used seven days a week for seven hours a day. So one of these bags or a couple of these bags, all of a sudden, when I was little, I had this thing on my front yard, the hose attached to it. And it was like this little character and he had little straws hanging out of his head. And so like a sprinkler. So imagine being in the studio and all of the sudden we were setting things up, getting ready to go time and waters just like sprang like sprinklers outside of these bags. And we're like, Oh my God, what did we just get ourselves into? And it's like, you don't even know what to do at that point in time. You're grabbing buckets, you're taking the buckets in your... So yes, we had a few incidents. We had one incident in a class where somebody punched the bag and they were so excited because they thought they punched the bag so hard that that's what made it pop. But the manufacturer was great. And over the course of the first 12 to 18 months, we were able to help redesign. And now... If you go to a box union and you see a droplet or two of water underneath your bag or usage, how underneath the bag, people honestly think it's because they've sweated so hard that that's how the liquid got there. But the reality is the bags probably has like a little bit of a leak.
0: Too funny. Well, talk about a, a welcome to entrepreneurship and ownership of stores. Well, another wrinkle for retailers and gyms was COVID. And so... Yeah. What's interesting is Box Union thrives from it, surprisingly, in the sense of the stores closed down, but then you grew your digital membership over 60,000. And so I'd love to hear how you thought about COVID, how you strengthened during COVID and the genesis behind really expanding before many people did digitally.
1: Yeah, I can totally remember exactly where I was. And the Friday before the shutdown, we had had this photo shoot inside the studio. We had hired this new digital marketing agency, and we were capturing all these new still photographs and video. And people were talking about COVID and everyone was like a little bit weary. And then... Sunday night, we were hearing that there was potentially going to be some sort of shutdown. And we didn't want to be a place where people felt like they were going to be in danger. So we proactively decided to close our doors ahead of the mandated shutdown. And I remember thinking when we thought we were just going to be home for two weeks, I was nervous. What are we going to do with our staff? What are we going to do with our customers? How are we going to make it through two weeks? Let us start doing workouts on Instagram Live so we can keep people engaged. Everybody is freaking out because there is this big unknown. And at least we can keep connected with our members and give people something that they can do for some period of the day to keep their mind off of the unknown. So we went on Instagram Live right away. And Tara and Kyle started teaching classes, and we were really surprised to see the numbers grow. And one of the things that we would see in the comments were members talking about how excited they were that now they could share this thing called Box Union that was confined to Santa Monica and Robertson Boulevard with their college roommates, with their parents, with their siblings, with their friends. So that word of mouth we saw put to action in these Instagram lives. And we saw a number of companies out there starting to send out GoFundMes and Venmo links for people to contribute. And we've always approached this from the lens. We're a business and we want there to be a value exchange if there's some sort of monetary transaction Digital was something that was on our roadmap, but to be honest, we were really focused on building our physical footprint. So with COVID, with the reception we were getting on digital, we decided now was the time. And within the course of a couple of weeks, we vetted, we selected a platform and we launched a subscription service. And we had people who were working as front desks or studio managers learning how to operate the cameras and learning how to host and shoot live classes. And we turned our studios into production facilities. And honestly, it's like, we didn't have time to think about it. We just went and we just did it. And it proved to be tremendous because we were able to grow our reach significantly. And we were able to partner with all sorts of brands because it didn't matter that we were only two studios in LA. People would go on the Box Union website. They'd go on the Box Union Instagram and they'd be like, wow, this is a really nice looking brand we want to associate with you all. And COVID also gave us the opportunity to have a conversation with Title Boxing Club. And Title Boxing Club is the number one player in the boxing fitness space. They are the industry leader. They have been building fitness boxing clubs since the late 2000s, there's over 140 across 31 states. And the ownership group was looking to sell or looking to roll up other concepts. And initially, they called Little Box Union thinking maybe we'd be this distressed asset that they could roll up into something. And Todd, being the great investment banker deal guy that he is, said, if anything... We should buy you. He's like, we've been trying to expand and we had tried a number of other acquisitions that didn't come to fruition. If anything, we should buy you. And um, when he called me and he told me that, I was like, you're absolutely insane. But co, keep having these conversations. I'll keep focusing on what it is that we need to do today, tomorrow, and the next day. And sure enough, he and our investors made it happen. And it has been a wild, almost 10 months since the acquisition happened.
0: That's crazy. I mean, amazing success and congrats on that. I'm curious, at the time when Title Boxing Club reached out to you guys, how many Box Union locations were there?
1: So when COVID came, we had our Santa Monica location that we had opened in April of 2017. We had a location that we refer to it- As Robertson. It's technically City of LA. One block one way is West Hollywood. One block the other way is Beverly Hills. It's right across from the Ivy on Robertson. That opened in January of 2019. And then we were weeks away from opening our third location in Sherman Oaks at the Westfield Fashion Square.
0: Incredible. I mean, talk about this David and Goliath like size over. I mean, this is incredible. And so now. In total, do you think about Title Boxing Club and Box Union as the same brand or do you run them independently?
1: Yeah, we definitely run the brands independently, but we also look at Title Box Union as a test kitchen in some regards for things that we want to try out before we roll them out to our franchise partners. There's a lot of similarities between the customers. if When we started Doing diligence on the business, and we'd read their customer surveys or we'd listen to the marketing team talk about who their customer was. There was very little differentiation between the Box Union customer and the Title Boxing Club customer. But that said, the formatting of the class at Box Union is different from that at Title Boxing Club. Box Union, everything we do, we do to the rhythm of the music at Title Boxing Club. You're going to get great. Music, but the class is done around rounds. But there's things that have worked really well at Box Union. We have a combination of the day, it gives the boxer something to work up to, a sense of accomplishment. It also creates a really great framework for the class. And there's things like that that we've started introducing within Title Boxing Club.
0: Going back a little bit when you talk about building. And earning their trust. I love this letter that I read online that you wrote to the people that go. And it resonated with me in the sense of it was such an honest letter about everything and specifically about connection, not perfection, that there's a lot of stuff out there. And so I loved how vulnerable you were and really shared a lot more about your background. But for the listeners who haven't heard it, can you share the genesis behind that and what you wanted out of that?
1: At Box Union, early on, we decided that we were going to align ourselves with A cause. And while we would continue to support and embrace many different causes, that we wanted there to be one thing that was the through line in anything that we did. I, in my early 20s, was diagnosed with depressive disorder. And it was something that I carried like a secret and held with a ton of shame. I never wanted anyone to know that I took medication. In fact, I didn't want anyone to think I was anything but perfect. And there was a lot of pressure that went along with that. And once I founded Box Union and I started to become somebody that people would want to follow on Instagram or figure out who I was. I felt this duty and obligation. If I had a platform and I had a voice, then I could help make sure that the stereotypes and the ideals that we all have could be squashed and that I could let people know I'm more like you than you probably would ever think. And in fact, I suffer from depression and I want to be somebody who is vulnerable and vocal about the challenges that I face because I feel like if by me sharing, it could help somebody else feel like they're less alone or be brave enough to tell their story and I could help just one person, then it would be worthwhile. And I want to say that a lot of that too was my younger sister who is a brilliant writer. She has created her own podcast. She sold a podcast to REI. But she went... And did a blog post on depression and the fact that she was so brave to rip off that bandaid. I took a cue from her and I'm like, well, you know, what am I hiding behind? What am I protecting? And it's really great because a lot of our coaches will talk about how they suffer from debilitating anxiety or bipolar or depressive disorders. And we know that the statistics are that we're in a mental health pandemic. As much as we've been dealing with COVID, we're dealing with a serious mental health Pandemic, So we've been able to take a lot of the work that we do at Box union and the conversations that we have around mental health awareness, mental health prevention, and bring that to the title system as well. So in May, we did a whole knockout stigma day, we partnered with a great organization called bring change to mind. Bring Change to Mind was founded by Glenn Close. She has a sister and a nephew with mental health disorders. And her whole mission is to eliminate the stigma around mental health and to just start a dialogue and conversation. So we at corporate donated a dollar to every single person who came into a boxing union or a title boxing club or took a class on our digital platform on Knockout Stigma Day. And it's just the first of many things that we'll be doing to help people know that when you become a part of Box Union or Title Boxing Club, we're committed to making not just better boxers, but better people, and that we want you to bring all the crap with you and have the opportunity to just leave it on the bag and to spend 45 minutes feeling less stressed and more empowered to handle the punches that life's going to throw your way.
0: Absolutely love that. There's a few business related questions I have for you in the sense of tracking and data you'd mentioned just very briefly the idea of donating $1 per client. How do you think about the emergence of all businesses now digitally? And so whether it's gyms and retailers, but now it seems like there's so many, whether it's even SoulCycle or Peloton, how much do you think about or spend your time with in terms of retaining your existing clients or thinking about new ways to innovate, whether it's different gloves, different bags, different exercise equipment. But how do you think about that? Because it's such a different experience now running a business post COVID.
1: Yeah. I mean, we definitely complicated our lives dramatically way before as we had two box union studios to focus on. Then we had two box union studios and a box union digital. Now we've got three box union studios, a box union digital. We've got two title boxing clubs that we own and operate. We've got title on demand. We've got 140 something franchise partners. And then we've got the franchise development arm to keep growing and adding more partners. So there's a lot to think about. And I'm happy to say that the strategic thinking is not just on my plate, that we've hired great people to come in and lead these different divisions. But The digital space is really crowded. I think that when it comes to the boxing fitness, it's less crowded. We have probably one of the top digital platforms in that space. The fact that we have all of these showrooms and that we've got 40,000 plus members that go to our clubs, they are going to have a digital membership somewhere. And why not have it be with the brand that they already love and trust. And digital for us is not something that is going to replace the in-studio physical environment. It is a supplement. When your kids have the day off school, when you're traveling for work, when you only have 20 minutes to squeeze in a workout, digital is that perfect way to do that. And because of the fact that we're in the boxing space, there's a lot of what we call gym intimidation. It's also that great opportunity. We saw this with Box Union Digital on Instagram Live, where people would say, Oh, I've driven by this place, but I was too scared to go inside. So then they get to experience the product and get a taste for the programming from the privacy and the safety and the comfort of their own home. And once they do that, they're more apt to then actually seek a physical environment where they can try the product, knowing a little bit more of what to expect. So we think that there's a tremendous amount of synergy and that we, with the title Bossing Club name, have the awareness and the reputation to really go and grow that audience, so much so that we just built out an entirely new digital studio in Culver City.
0: Wow, that's amazing. Before I switch over to the questions I ask all my guests, I'd love to hear a little bit more about the letter you wrote, because it was so beautifully written, and I'll make sure to link it to the show notes. But just the idea that you really knocked out the idea of having a perfect life. Up until probably 15 minutes of this interview, it sounded like you really did have a perfect, unfortunately, other than your dad passing away very early. But the idea that you were so driven, so hungry, so motivated, you got into Stanford, you did all the things. It sounded so great, so strong. And yet, hearing or reading rather that in your twenties, no, this was not the case. And so I'd just love to hear a little bit more about that if you could share.
1: Yeah. I mean, in my twenties, I was absolutely miserable. I had everything going for me on paper. I had the greatest job. I had great friends. I had a great boyfriend and I don't know why, but I found it so important that people saw me as this perfect person. And I remember I was traveling a lot for work and my depression was such that I never sought to physically harm myself. But I remember being on like some of these airplanes and being like, God, I just wish the plane would crash. Like it's just all too much. It's all so hard. And I went to see a therapist and my mom is a licensed clinical social worker. And given the trauma that we've experienced in our life, I have been no stranger to seeing a therapist. And I remember I went and just for 50 minutes, I vomited up everything that was going on. And I was like, so do you think you could help me? And he was like, well, I do feel like someone just dumped a truckload of stuff off. But yes. And he was like, I think the first thing we should do is have more appointments, but I think you would also benefit from medication. And I just remember even... Back to childhood and just like some days just like having this like more than often than not this blueness and this achiness and just thinking I can't outrun it, I can't out exercise it and I can't shake the feeling. So it was actually so welcomed when there was a plan and something that I could potentially do to help alleviate. The feelings and then letting go of the idea of perfection was so liberating because actually, the moment I did was when I was really able to start to connect with people. Nobody feels that the person who has everything is accessible or relatable. So, I strive to while we all know Instagram is a highlight reel, like one of my favorite things to do is just post like really. Real, like I never use filters, and 99% of the time, my hair is in a ponytail and I'm sweating because that's me. Like the fact that I brushed my hair for you today is, you know, (laughs) you're welcome, is an anomaly. But I want people to know that this is it, and there's definitely more I'm sure that I could share, and I'm comfortable sharing because I know that there's no reason to hide it. And there's way more of us that deal with things then don't. And by creating this false narrative, I'm not doing anything to help change. And for my son and for my nieces and nephews, I know, in fact, that mental health days and being able to talk openly about anxiety and depression is going to be their norm. And I love that.
0: Well, thank you for sharing all of that. It resonates with me, as you know, because the reason I created the show is to really take off that polish where it's okay to not be perfect. It's okay to struggle and it's okay to fail. And even the name of the show gets so much negative feedback because they're like, well, what is failure? And it's all of the things, whether it's hardship or setbacks. And the idea is I wanted to share that Felicia Alexander is so amazing and tough, but also she's vulnerable and she goes through some issues too with mental health. And all of that stuff is a wonderful journey. And so I wanted to share a lot of these experiences so that people realize that lows are normal And it's getting out of the lows that really are helpful tips. And so thank you for sharing that. Switching gears to the questions I ask everyone, starting with the inspiration one of what or who inspires you?
1: I think there's a couple of people that inspire me. One would definitely be my mom. I mean, she has had a tough, tough life. When she was eight, her father committed suicide. When I was Three, she had a baby die of crib death. She lost her husband suddenly to a heart attack. And although she had three teenage daughters, she at the age of 50 went back to school to get her PhD in educational leadership. She's turning 75 next month. And she's one of the world's leading interventionists and one of the hardest working people I know. She's written a book called Falling Up. And that's kind of her philosophy and her mentality is we can fall down or we can fall up. And she is the epitome of grit and resilience. I would say that my husband, he is beyond supportive. He is also just this amazing combination of right and left brain. He is such a wonderful strategic thinker, and he's also the biggest source of encouragement to me. And then the last would be a few of my friends who have gone before me and taken bold risks. My really good friend, Lynn Perkins, started a company called Urban Sitter shortly after she had had her twins. And I just think of the amount of blood, sweat, and tears that she put into developing this platform to make it easy for people to be matched with a childcare provider in the same way that we can find a restaurant on open table. And how she is a woman with women partners has gone out to raise 40 plus million dollars and just... At every step and every challenge has continued to find a way around it, all while having three kids and a really busy life. But you didn't
0: let that be an excuse. Well, you are on top of many people's lists, I'm sure. What is your superpower? It's a newer question than I started asking people because one guest who was listening started cobbling together a theme of all the guests I had on the show. And individually, he said, well, this is Ellen's superpower and this is so-and-so's superpower. And I love that question so much or that framing. So I'd love to ask people what they think their superpower is. Connection.
1: I am a master connector. I love to meet someone and then figure out who I need to introduce them to.
0: Love that. You have done so much with your career and switching from the tech side to the sales and marketing side to entrepreneurship and now revenue and overall sales and subscriptions. What are you most proud of?
1: The fact that I did something that I always wanted to do but was scared to do and left the comfort of the corporate world and went out there with Todd and started Box Union.
0: We talked about a few setbacks, a few failures, the mentality of boxing and why it's so great for toughness and increasing that. Can you share your biggest growth moment, which I'm sure included some type of failure? We talked about the flooding the day before the first Box Union store opened, but what was one of your biggest growth moments or most impactful moments?
1: I think when we purchased title boxing club, we had this little idea for these studios and then we were able to turn it into something. And honestly, I would say that that's been
0: one of them. And I think the rest are yet to come. I read in an interview you did before that one of the setbacks with Box Union was sourcing boxing gloves and it was from Pakistan, but would love to just hear that story.
1: Yes. So I don't think we understood that we were going to be in the retail business. When starting Box Union, that people coming in would need wraps and gloves, and that we were gonna to need to figure out where to get them. So initially, we went to somebody, and she produced really great stuff for us, but the cost was really high. And I wanted to figure out how to make more margin on it. So I became an Alibaba expert. And I started reaching out to people in Pakistan because the majority of the world's boxing products are manufactured in Pakistan. So not only did I reach out to people in Pakistan and had them send me samples, I found someone who I decided to give a shot and work with. And it was crazy because in order to place the order, we had to wire the money in full. So here I am at Wells Fargo wiring money to some intermediary bank that's ultimately going to Pakistan and just hoping and praying that I don't get put on some like travel ban list. And more importantly, that the money we spend actually comes back to us in the form of product. So then I get This information and all of these bills of ladings. And I get this call from Ethiod Airways that they've got my package and I need to come and get them. So I decide I'm going to go get them myself. And I go and they're like, Do you have your bond? Do you have your this? Like, you need to be able to clear customs. And so I have no idea what to do. And so I'm trying to research this and I find a company that is a freight clearing house and they're not far from the airport. So I go over there and they give me the paperwork. And then I go back to Ethiopia Airways and they're like, okay, great. Go to ramp number seven and uh, come back in and they'll load you when it's time. So I go to ramp number seven and I'm in my SUV. And meanwhile, ramp number six, ramp number five, It's like the DHL truck, the FedEx truck, like all of these massive trucks, and I'm just backing my SUV up. And I go in there and I hand my paper and it's me and all the drivers for these other companies waiting to pick up their shipments. And I was like, how long have you been here? How long do you think it will take? And they're like, oh, it could be eight hours. And I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe it. But the funniest thing was it didn't take eight hours. It was two hours later. They called my number, they got the forklift, and then they opened the garage. And there was my little SUV there and they loaded the stuff. And, and it was like a huge sense of accomplishment because I figured it out. I since have figured out how to actually get somebody to pick up the freight in Pakistan to save me from even more in the shipping costs and then get the products actually delivered to our studio doors. But I felt like in the very beginning, I needed to understand how to do it. I also had no idea what I was doing clearly, but to be able to figure it out felt like a really good accomplishment.
0: Incredible. Last question. What is next for Felicia Alexander? I
1: am just committed to helping our franchise partners to growing title boxing club to growing our box union studios. It's been challenging to own and operate fitness studios in LA with the various mandates. People are not loving doing high impact cardio workouts with masks on. So I'm really looking forward to there being decreases In COVID for us to reach herd immunity and for the world to start getting back to in-person fitness in a big way. And I hope that the next time we talk, we can talk about having opened more locations, having increased the revenue for our franchise
0: partners and having really grown our digital footprint. Amazing. Well, Felicia, thank you so much for taking the time to have this conversation. I had a blast. And I'm going to go to the website and grab another quick workout because they're so great and very energizing.
1: Thank you. Such a pleasure. I really appreciated your time and you having me on today.